Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to On Texas Football and the Sunday Night Livestream. I'm Bobby Burton, joined by Rod Babers and C.J. Vogel. How are you guys doing tonight? A uh, little football action on Sunday afternoon and into the evening now. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs headed to the Super Bowl. Thanks to Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey wow. and a, a defense that just got after it. Uh, right Man. now, the 49ers taking a little bit on the chin. The Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell's group, came out ready to play, it looked like to me, uh, tonight. Uh, but we're going to talk a little Longhorn football today. I uh, got some news and notes to go through. Uh, CJ, welcome in, buddy. I want to get your take on, first of all, Texas and te- – or the, excuse me, the Texas A&M and Oklahoma Junior Days. Uh, what you thought of what went on in uh, College Station in Norman over the weekend, and if it has any impact uh, on the Longhorns. Yeah, absolutely. Two, two uh, pretty – you know, I would say pretty solid junior days for both uh, both universities. Uh, not as deep and as uh, I would say, you know, crowded as what we saw from Texas about two weeks ago now. Uh, but you know, Oklahoma and Texas A and M were able to get some of their top prospects on on campus. A and M actually had a really strong junior day, I think. Jordan Davison from Matter Day was in town. Uh, Kelshawn Johnson. They had the Bridgeland offensive tackles, Jonte Newman, Ryan Foji as well. Uh, Lamont Rogers was on campus as well. Uh, for that offensive line. So a lot going on there. Ashton Ansley, Tanuk Hines, uh, one to watch as well. Uh, it was actually Michael Terry, who Texas offered a week ago during their own junior day. Uh, that's something to keep a close eye on there. Te- Texas A&M, not necessarily uh, after Michael Terry at the moment, but they can certainly make a move. Getting him on campus is a big, big move right there as well. So uh, that's something to watch. Oklahoma has a, a little bit of a quieter junior day uh, from a, a prospect perspective. Uh, Emmanuel Choice, the 6'4 wide receiver out of Lancaster, was on, on campus, as well as uh, Jonah Williams, the five-star uh, out of Galveston Ball down south, and uh, Kobe Sellers, who was is one to watch as well from uh, Shadow Creek. A lot to, to keep close eyes on right now. Getting Jonah Williams up to Norman is a big victory for the Sooners. Uh, Oklahoma's making a big run there, and that's something Texas will have to combat because, you know, as we talked about it, Jonah Williams was unable to make it to campus uh, last week for Texas' junior day. So my understanding, Texas is going to try to make a little bit of a move on Max Granville, by the way. That's a little inside scoop. I'm, I'm hearing he, he might be moving up the board a little bit for Texas uh, this year, uh, just uh, after an in-person visit uh, earlier this week and then his visit to Texas over the weekend as well. Uh, also, some coaching news, Rod, that I want to bring you in on next. Uh, Joe D. Camillus, uh, the, uh, the special teams assistant uh, for the Longhorns, uh, took a job on Saturday as the full-time assistant uh, at the University of South Carolina. You can't blame him, but I think it's interesting because obviously Shane Beamer is the head coach at South Carolina. He's the son of Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, who always made special teams a priority. Uh, but Joe D. Camillus leaves Texas as the assistant special teams coach and takes the uh, South Carolina special teams job. What are your thoughts on that one, Rod, and, and that, that move by Beamer? Uh, it was a good move. I mean, Joe D. Camillus, right? Texas was excited because this is a guy that's got decades of coaching experience on special teams at the NFL level. And I believe a Beamer's background, Shane Beamer's background is a special teams guy, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so he understands really the value of it. Uh, you know, Sark, uh, you know, is Sark losing some of those uh, big time analysts for position coaching roles or for, you know, for other roles that, that just shows you that, you know, Sark was able to get some big fish. Uh, some splashes at those analyst roles, Gary Patterson, Joe D. Camillus, Paul Chris. And I even said this when, you know, Coach Akina ended up taking the coordinator. I said, hey, we're a little spoiled because we got a bunch of really good analysts at one time. You usually don't get big time recognizable names as analysts like that. Nick Saban did it. Nick Saban is, you know, the GOAT. 
uh, for Sark to do it just shows you that Sark's got good relationships in the industry. Number one, shows you that that, that coaches want to coach on uh, coach for Sark. He's got a good environment, good culture. Uh, but I do think we were a little spoiled. Uh, that's why we just kind of assumed we'd get Coach Akina into one of those analysts' role. And it's great that you can bring in those big time names, but that is uh, that's a luxury. That is a huge luxury. Texas, and by the way, the brand of Texas will attract those kind of coaches. Paul Chris. Is coming back, right? That's great. Uh, they got William Gay in the role as a defensive analyst uh, as well. That helps. So, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna bring in some big time, uh, you know, analysts, but uh, you also want to get some of those hungry uh, up and comers, right? Those hungry guys who are up and coming, who they're trying to, you know, prove themselves. They're trying to make their name, and they also can bring something else to the table too. And I, I think Sark's, you know, he's shown even with his coach staff, he's got a healthy mix of that. Yeah, uh, Texas also. Uh... Uh, finalized the agreement with Brandon Huppert as a defensive uh, analyst yes. as well. Uh, somebody, uh, Tracy Jackson said, wasn't Dick Camillus just the special teams analyst? Yes, I use the term assistant to the special teams coach because that's really what he was in large part. He also played an interesting role too, Rod and CJ. He was the clock management guy at the mm. end of half for Steve Sarkeesian. Interesting yes. what he does. Huppert, by the way, was a uh, assistant uh, to uh, the defensive line coach up at Oregon State this past year. He now comes to Texas in that role as well. All right, uh, Jabbar Muhammad, moving on a little bit, the cornerback out of Washington, visited Texas about 10 days ago. On Saturday afternoon, he decided to go to Oregon. Uh, Oregon was the leader after about, I heard on Sunday, uh, when Texas wasn't, just they, Longhorns weren't going to promise a starting role. Uh, no offense to anybody and everybody out there. Would Texas have liked Jabbar Muhammad to be on the team? Absolutely. Uh, but ultimately, I think NIL and some other things went in the direction of Oregon, uh, and that's why uh, the Ducks come up on top. Uh, it wasn't a situation where the Texas got outbid or anything like that. Texas just, I think, didn't think he was as important maybe as Oregon did at this point in time. All right, um, other other things to talk about a little bit. Uh, we've got a question from, from – uh, we're going to take questions tonight. Uh, try to get going on that. We're also uh, going to be uh, looking in on uh, some things that happened today earlier as it relates to some football games. I want to ask y'all, because I got I got texted this in a thread. PK, do you think Pete Kwiatkowski likes seeing the Chiefs and the and the um, uh, and the uh, the Chiefs and uh, the Ravens blitz so much today? Uh, PK has been averse to blitzing, Rod. They blitzed the heck out of Lamar Jackson today and Pat Mahomes and had some success. Those are that's the pro level. Even. Well, Spagnola blitzes a lot. I mean, Spagnola, uh, Kansas City probably blitzes top five, top six rate in the league. So they blitz a lot anyway. And they love the blitz with DBs. He blitzed through a lot of his sub packages, defensive backs coming from all different angles. Um, so that's kind of in Spag's DNA. That's a big part of who he is. Uh, and I'm with you, the Ravens. Uh, usually uh, Mike McDonald doesn't blitz a ton. He's more of um, a simulated pressure guy, comes up with really uh, creative simulated pressures. But I think going against Patrick Mahomes, but you're going against a really good quarterback, and this is kind of what Longhorn fans probably were getting to. When you're going up against a guy like like Penix, man, you you know, just, hey, just, just go after him because it's basically it, – you're blitzing, you're gambling. It's just a gamble. It's a roll of the dice. And sometimes, you know, you're going to hit and sometimes you're going to miss – but against Penix, Texas was missing a lot either way. So, hell, man, might as well just gamble instead of sitting back and allowing them to kind of pick you apart. I think that's what Longhorn fans are upset about. I will say he did blitz. They picked him apart even when Texas was blitzing. So I don't know if that would have helped, but I get you being more aggressive. And that's why when you got two elite quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, both of those defensive coordinators going against those QBs, they understand, hell, man, I'm just going to gamble and blitz because – I'm going to get uh, against these guys. I'm going to get picked up. I'm going to get picked apart either way, but I'd rather gamble. I'd rather roll the dice. And that way, at least, especially against uh, Lamar Jackson, this is why it's key against a dual threat quarterback. I know I'm going football theory here, but I won't stay on it too long. Essentially, when he drops back to pass, you got to defend three plays. I got to defend the original play. Then I got to defend the scramble drill, the second reaction play. And then I got to defend him as a runner. And though that's no, no defense can do that for four quarters. So what you basically want to do is force him to declare quickly. The blitz will do that. The blitz will force him to get the hand, the ball out of his hands quickly. It will force him either to tuck the ball and run quickly. He doesn't, he won't have three different plays in one. And that's what you want to avoid. And that's why the blitz 
worked perfectly against him. D'Amico did, D'Amico did it too. D'Amico Ryan's did and Texas did it early on in the first half, and it worked really well. They just had better adjustments, and Texas and the Texans just aren't as good <laughs> as the Kansas City Chiefs are. Just, Chiefs are just a better team. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. The blitz. I mean, PK doesn't blitz a lot. I mean, you could argue PK PK should blitz more. Maybe this season you'll see some of that because he trusts his DBs more. I think I don't think he trusts his DBs enough to blitz. I think that's what it comes down to. I think since he's been here, he hadn't had a secondary he trusts enough to hold up because if you blitz, you're gonna be a man coverage most of the time. All right, unless you're doing zone blitz, you're gonna be a man coverage. And I don't think he trusts his young DBs this year though. It's probably the best secondary that he's had since he's been here. So maybe in the upcoming season, you'll see him blitz more, put those DBs on an island, and trust that his, his dogs will get home. Rod, I got another question for you. This one uh, actually was on the on Texas football message board in a different format. It was talking about the importance of certain players on a team. Uh, you said that at one time that you felt like uh, Steve Sarkeesian had said that tight end was the second most important uh, position on an offense. Mm-hmm. Ed Blake comes in and says this, these TEs in the playoff are making Jay Sanders some money. And I want to say this, I, I thought about that uh, because I looked at that, that uh, comment on the message board earlier today, a little bit in a separate format. And basically you have Travis Kelsey, who's, you know, one of the best to ever play at tight end. Then you have Sam Laporta at Detroit. That's been really good. And then you also look at George Kittles for the 49ers, three of the four teams, have A plus tight ends. Andrews, Ravens. Mark yeah. Andrews, if he wasn't hurt this year, he'd have been in that same category. Yeah. And so yeah. How, what do you think of it? What do you make of that though? Is that is that position becoming more important so that Texas getting an Amari Nyblack and having Gunner Helm makes it all the more important to a Steve Sarkeesian offense? Yeah, and, and Sark is Sark's on the record. I, I got the quote because I, I, I wanted to make sure I got it because I believe it was my man Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman that had it from him. And I remember it because it was so I it was so eye-popping. I'm like, hold on, what he said, tight end's most important position behind quarterback in his offense. And I think he was just talking about how it balances the offense, right? It fuses the power element with the spread element. Um, and that's what Tom Tom Herman actually remember if you go look at Tom Herman's offense, he would stockpile a lot of tight ends, he didn't use them really well, but he liked to stockpile them. And he had the same thought process. There, If you find the right tight end, there's no better way to hunt matchups in football right now. It's, I don't know, if, there's, if you find the, if you get a right one, JT Sanders, by the way, is one of them. He can hunt, and Sark would hunt matchups with him, move him around uh, the, the formation a lot. I think he moved him at a top 10 rate in all of college football in terms of the motions and the shifts, but he's just hunting matchups for that guy. And I think you look at Kelsey, you look at Laporta, who also set rookie records, just like you said this year, at tight end, Kittle and Andrews. There's no doubt, it's not a coincidence that all of those offenses, that they're all uh, not tight end-centric, but the tight ends are a pivotal piece. They're an important part of the offense. And I don't think Sark had as many um, creative concepts for his tight end this season um that he's and then he's had back in the past I, I don't i think this season with jt sanders he was also a, a kind of a muse for sark and i think sark came up with some really creative ways to utilize a tight end that he hadn't in the past and i wonder if he with amari Nyblack and gunner helm too thrown in there if the point is kind of the amount of money ball that position with all those kinds of you know different skill sets at the tight end position because you don't have jt who gave you everything and i can't wait to see who he goes to if he goes to kansas city jt sanders I always they gotta be looking for a Kelsey replacement. They gotta be. They have to be at this point. The dude's still catching like you caught what 12 or 13 balls tonight. My goodness. Yeah, but you gotta start grooming the replacement after him, man. Because you and by the way, you want Kelsey to teach him, right? I want Kelsey to pass down all of his little tricks of the trade onto this next, you know, great tight end. I'm just saying, JT, he's out there. He's out there, man. He's a good one. Watch watch them trade up and get somebody like Brock Bowers, too. I mean, oh, Brock Bowers. Oh, no. He's going, you know, that's a great point, dude. He's going early. He's going to go to, I think so. I think, I think Harbaugh's going to draft Bowers. I think Harbaugh's going to draft him early. Which quarterback? Which which Harbaugh now? (laughs) John. I've long said the Chargers made a lot of sense for JT Sanders. It it just, like, that's, that tight end spot, as exciting as that offense has the, the capability of being, that tight end spot has been a glaring weakness for years. Gerald Everett, it, it's just not like 
they can mm-hmm. unleash that offense with a, a dynamic tight end so well. I thought that was a perfect spot for JT Sanders to go in the draft. I, I mean, Brock Bauer is obviously pretty good tight end as well. So I, I think the Chargers are in the market for a tight end in the draft 100%. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see about that. Hey, I do want to I want to stay with UCJ and ask you another recruiting question, if you don't mind. Jabori Antoine, uh, out of Westgate in New Iberia, uh, committed to uh, LSU over the weekend. Texas was close with him. It was came down to Texas and LSU. Uh, Derek Williams, obviously, his former high school teammate, but Antoine committed to LSU. Uh, anybody in the offing right now at, at cornerback for Texas? I went over a little bit of this uh, in this morning's update. Uh, it feels like with not only Antoine off the board at corner, uh, but now also uh, Devin Sanchez out of North Shore, that Texas is looking, I don't want to say it's time to worry or panic or anything, but the quarterback spot in this year's recruiting class doesn't have the depth it did just, what, a month ago. I mean, with these two guys probably off the board, probably. Yeah, it's it, it, it certainly become a steeper uphill climb for the cornerback position in the 25 cycle, you know, you talk about Devin Sanchez, you know, already committed to Ohio State. Ohio State's also looking very nice for uh, Dorian Brew as well. You know, one of the other top in-state cornerbacks. Uh, that would be a big hit for Texas if both of those guys left the state to go play uh, for Ohio State. That, that That's tough. Uh, the question now becomes, where do they go? And I think Kobe Sellers is a guy that they had on campus this past week. Uh, he was up at Oklahoma this past weekend. Oklahoma is is very confident in their ability uh, to recruit Kobe Sellers right now. So there's you know some question marks. It's it's kind of it'll be interesting this spring to see if new offers are extended out at the cornerback position. Who are they able to get on the campus uh, as well? So right now it certainly doesn't help that Corey Raymond is back up at LSU you know, recruiting those DBs that Texas has kind of had some good success of peeking into Louisiana and uh, about and, you know, kind of, you know, grabbing a, a Derek Williams or a, a, a Wardell Mack or someone like along the lines of that, that is going to be a lot tougher now with Corey Raymond back on the block down there at LSU. So certainly already beginning to see how impactful he's going to be in his return with Jabor Antoine uh, committing to LSU over the weekend. Tigers are putting together a pretty nice start to their class right now. Yeah, no doubt the top-rated quarterback and wide receiver and running back in the country already committed to wow. LSU oh, yeah. in this recruiting class. They Brian Kelly's uh, he's selling that Cajun uh, stuff mm-hmm. right now. He's hey. putting some sauce on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to say this name for everybody to remember for the University of Texas, Caleb Chester out of Fort Bend Marshall. Uh, Texas really, I, I think, likes him a lot, as well as Kobe Sellers, who you said, uh, oh, you kind of felt pretty good about at this point, too. So, uh, both yeah. of those guys in that south southwest Houston uh, area uh, of town. All right, guys, got some more questions. We're going to take y'all's questions the rest of the night, uh, kind of keep it even and lighthearted a little bit uh, as we go through this. Uh, let's go to this one. Uh, I have a first world question, question James Simpson <laughs> says, with so much high school talent and portal talent, do the coaches, Texas coaches now, have their most important spring so far to put the best folks on the field? Is this – like the highest stakes game they played uh, in Steve Sarkeesian's tenure? Or was, I I have to think last year was such a big deal because they actually, I mean, in retrospect, of course, hindsight's 2020, but Rod, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot lot of expectations last year, right? It was almost, for a lot of Longhorn fans, it was Big 12 championship or or bust, (laughs) that that the the season was going to be a disappointment, ultimately a failure if they didn't win the Big 12 title. Um, that's a lot of expectations. I don't know going in going into this season, though, they're gonna be a ranked the top three team in the country. So the expectation, but I mean, that's the thing about Texas, right? In the, the job at Texas, you're gonna just keep up in the ante. That's the whole thing about this job here. It's it, there's never gonna p- come a point for Steve Sarkeesian now. Now that he has he has he has taken the team to a certain standard, and they're now you know playing and, and meeting that standard once again. That's great. But as Mac Brown, you know, kind of when Mac talked about this one time, I, and I called it this, Mac didn't call this. I said, you know, Mac, you're a prisoner of your own excellence, man. You're a prisoner of your own excellence. You, you got to the point now where you've upped the ante so much, you know, your 10 wins ain't enough. You got to, you got to need you to win double games and beat Oklahoma. And I need you competing for the Big 12 title, if not winning it every other year or so. Um, and that, and, and, and for sorry, and this is, this is, by the way, this is what we want. And it's great, but I, I think sometimes we're going to lack perspective with this thing. 
Um, but yeah, for Sark, every year is going to be like this now. Every year. Let, hey, every let, year. Me, ask you a, let me ask a follow-up there, um, CJ, to you. And this comes from Nathan. The spring is higher stakes because the attrition is going to be higher quality players. So in other words, and, and this is, Rod, I think you would agree with this. There's there's less meat to cut. There's less uh, fat to trim on the Texas roster right now. A year ago, two years ago, you could say, yeah, that guy probably needs to move on. He doesn't have a future in football. Now, I feel like there's less. Do you think it's higher stakes because of that, perhaps, uh, uh, CJ? Well, I, I think anytime that you bring in a class that, you know, finish what, number two or number three in the recruiting rankings, you're going to be replenishing that talent pretty quickly. And that's just going to help, you know, obviously the depth and the talent of each positional room. You go out and you add what seven or eight guys from the portal as well, all of which uh, expected to be contributors this upcoming season. I, I do think you're getting to a point where you'll see more talented players leaving Texas than before. But this is now to the point where everybody on campus, for the most part, is a Steve Sarkeesian guy. And there's been levels in which we've seen Texas start recruiting at higher levels than previous staff. So I think it's a, you know, it's tough to obviously see these guys depart. But at the same time, Texas is adding so much talent across the board at each position that it's it, it, it's kind of a, you know, we'll see the, the cream of the crop rise to the top. You know, it, 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 you start seeing that that iron sharpening iron really start elevating itself because of how much talent is now in these rooms for each day uh, at practice at Texas. So it's unfortunate, but at the same time, there won't be a lack of talent uh, as a result of these, uh, uh, what we would think are pending departures this spring. Uh, and you won't know, and by the way, you won't know if that attrition is bad until first of all, they go to another program and if they're coveted by a program that's on the power five level or, 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 you know, lower, so you won't know what tier they're, they're departing to. And then what kind of player they become after that. So the attrition that we're talking about, whether that's going to be good attrition or bad, good, good players leaving, how do you know? Yeah. Until like four or five years later, you don't, you don't, you have no idea. And that's kind of what I, I was talking about. There's good attrition and bad attrition. Every program has attrition now, really high attrition rates. Everybody, nobody can avoid them. Good attrition is when you have good players leaving your program, going to power five programs, being coveted by other power five programs. And not only that, it's going to start and going to get quality reps at other power five programs. That's the, if your guys are going to other programs and they're, and they're dropping down in competition level, that's not necessarily, you know, for you, for Texas, you know, you're not losing great players. You're losing guys that you've churned out the, the bottom of that roster with. You upgraded over. Yeah, it's not when, when they transfer to Sam Houston State or even North Texas. It's not a, but when you're Alabama and you're losing a couple guys to the University of Texas. Yes. One of which Boom. is your receiver and your number one tight end. That's a different animal. Exactly. Right? That's what you're getting at. Hopefully, you don't, you hope that doesn't happen to Texas though. CJ? Yeah, I was, I was looking down the, the list of portal departures from the end of the season. Two to Auburn, you know, Jaron Thompson, Trill mm -hmm. Carter. You lose two to UNLV. Obviously, Malik goes to Duke. Uh, you talked about North Texas as well in that mix. So you, there won't be too many guys that Texas will see on that big Power 5 level uh, moving forward. Obviously, no Auburn on this uh, upcoming schedule, but the potential to see them, I guess, in the SEC championship game if they have a, a hell of a season. But more times than not, Texas won't be facing those same guys that were on the – on the team uh, in the in the program a year uh, prior, like y'all mentioned. Well, hey, this is a great point to say. What did Texas have 15 guys go in the portal postseason? Is that the number that we ended at, CJ? Mm -hmm. I know yeah. you tracked that number. Um, and only three went to Power 5 schools mm -hmm. at this point? Yeah. That's pretty telling in itself right there, guys. It is. I it mean, is. That, that's, it is. Yeah. And that's State, Coastal Carolina all got guys, yeah. And by the way, that's not to say that these guys aren't going to go to those places and still prove to be NFL draftable talent. We're just talking about how to measure attrition, really. And and I'd say it's also about where your program is, right? If, if Alabama next year still wins double-digit games, you'll go, damn, so they had a stacked roster, lost players who went to start at other universities and still were able to win double-digit games. That's a healthy roster, period. That's a healthy program, healthy roster. That's kind of where you want to be. You want to be you want to be at a point where Bama was last year. Bama lost guys that went to play at other universities or Georgia, whatever they Georgia lost A.D. Mitchell, which is start at Texas. 
double digit uh, touchdowns at Texas and yet hey man they still were on the verge of getting to the to the college football playoff that's a healthy roster ladies and gentlemen oh it is really healthy and, and you're that, not even talking and you're not even talking about the ones that went to the NFL exactly exactly <laughs> right they, they, there you go Bobby so ultimately guys that's what we want to be you want to be where you, you can't avoid attrition you cannot avoid guys transferring only so many spots for guys gonna start they're gonna transfer period can't avoid that what you want is the positive attrition, healthy attrition where, hell, man, you had, you had your, your roster is so stacked. The guys who left to go, they went to go start and play at other Power Five universities. That, and, your, and by the way, and, they, and you did not feel that loss. It didn't hurt your roster. You still were able to win double-digit games, still were able to compete for championships because that's how stacked your roster has been. That's what we want to get to, ladies and gentlemen. You want to be where Georgia is. You want to be where Bama was last year. I don't know where they're going to be at now that they lost Nick Saban. But when you can lose – because you're going to lose them anyway. They, you ain't going to keep – all. you don't keep five, three five-star quarterbacks in that room. You ain't going to do it. It's just not going to happen, man. You can, you can do it to a certain extent, but guys are going to leave. They want a chance to play. So I, I think, like I said, that's what we want to get to. It's kind of a complicated thing, but in terms of how you want to measure it, but it's on stalking your exes, right? You stalk your exes. I want my exes to be doing well. I want them to be thriving. I want them to have families. I want them to be in happy marriages, CEOs of, of companies. I want all of my exes doing well because what does that say about me? I got good taste, all right? <laughs> I got, I know how to pick them. And what, you know why I'm not upset when my exes are balling? Because I'm killing it. I'm doing all, I'm doing all well, too. I'm in love. I'm having good. You know, I'm having a good time. I got a beautiful family. So as long as you're doing well, don't be mad about the attrition. Because it's healthy attrition. Let me ask you this. I I, I can't. You got to bring it up, Rod. You you bring the, the X's into it and all this other stuff. I think it's awesome. Um, I, I put a poll out there uh, to the community. I want to get your yours and CJ's take on this. Uh, totally different topic here. Uh, but uh, which offensive player will break out during spring 2024? Mm-hmm. So which – and here are, the, here are the, the ones I gave, okay? DeAndre Moore. Neto Umiozulu, Trey Wisner, Jonte Cook, or Cam Williams? Who would you choose? I'm going to have you two tell us who you would choose, and I'll show you the results of the poll. Who, who would you choose first, Rod? Mm, um, you had two old linemen on there, didn't you? Yeah, Neto and Cam Williams. Yeah, John that's, that's- Cook, DeAndre Moore at receiver, and mm-hmm. Trey Wisner at running back. Well, that I, I gotta go with John Tay Cook. I gotta okay. go with, with Cook. Why, yeah. why you choose him? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Why? Yeah, why? Uh, well, just because, first of all, everything you lost in the passing game. Uh, I talk about the circle of trust for Sark. Hopefully, you know, I think he might expand it a little bit this year with the depth of the receiver position, but he likes John Tay Cook. John Tay Cook is, are we talking about Sark has a type at receiver? Jonte Cook fits that type of receiver that he likes. He, he even remarked last year at the end of last season, even though we talked about, you know, Sark's really tight rotation of receivers, that he's like, I got I to gotta get Jonte Cook in the games. I got to get him in there, and I got to get him some, some, some targets. He, he, he said that out like himself. He, he didn't, that was unsolicited. I think this season um, he's got a plan for Jonte Cook. I mean, like a, like a development plan. I think he's had one for a while, and I think he wants to map that out with Jonte Cook so that young receivers he's recruiting, they see the Xavier Worthy, Jonte Cook route, and they see themselves, you know, being able to take that route. Like, oh, Sark, Sark sees me as the next you know, John Tay Cook or the next Xavier Worthy. And I think he wants to start that with John Tay Cook. That's interesting. What about you, CJ? Where did you go? Uh, my my immediate thought was John Tay Cook as well. Rod, you mentioned what Sark openly said about John Tay and pressers earlier this year. I look back to right after the Oklahoma game, his Monday press conference comes out and he says, you know, I probably should have played him a little bit more. I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more snaps. That to me shows that, you know, there's, 
a very high, you know, level of, of anticipation and hope for what Jonte will eventually be. And I think we'll see that this year. He's going to be a big piece of this offense. And unlike the guys that are were added to the wide receiver room from the portal, he's been in the system for a year now. He's familiar mm -hmm. with Quinn he's familiar with the schemes, the calls, the formations, whatever. That's his upper hand here. When you're talking about yeah. the the positional, uh, you know, position room competition amongst one another, that's what he has over these portal guys right now. Not necessarily on field experience, but he does have that in his back pocket. Uh, but I really like Cam Williams, and I think he was the clear number two for me because he's looking at a guy who, you know, you could potentially see him on the field for every single meaningful snap on, on at the right tackle position. I thought he played well in the, the, the Kansas State game when he was asked to uh, step in for Christian Jones. Uh, we talked about, you know, kind of being a little uneasy at times with the false starts and the pre-snap penalties. But over time, that will go away. You're looking at a guy that's six seven you know, uh, 200, or 360 pounds. He's one of the biggest guys Texas will have on the field next year. And he's doing so with uh, a level of athleticism that will allow him to maintain with those top-end edge rushers in the SEC. He's a very impressive prospect and one of my favorites that I've been able to cover uh, on the recruiting side of things because you see him in those training sessions and think, you know, this guy's, you know, sitting back in like the four or 500 rankings, you know, he's way down there. What, what's the deal? And you go watch him play and he, he dominates because he's got those bear claw mitts, you know, he, once he gets hold of you, you don't go anywhere. And I, I love that. So uh, I think we'll see a really big step for Cam Williams this year. And I'm excited to see him in the spring just to see how he's able to go against the guys like Trey Moore, Ethan Burke, Baron Sorrell on a day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of play-to-play -play basis, really, uh, in the spring football. Uh, well, let's let's show folks what the results of that poll were. Uh, based on y'all's two uh, comments, I don't think this is any surprise. Uh, Matt, what did you have here? Woo! 73% for, for, for uh, John T. Cook, 11% for Cam Williams, 7 yeah. for Trey Weiser. So, yeah. look, if, uh, I'll say this. I, I voted for Cam Williams. You know, so I get why people say John T. Cook to, to both of y'all's points, and, and I also understand why Cam Williams as well. Um, but is he going to be actually a breakout guy, or, or is he going to be in a battle with Hayden Connor for the right tackle spot. That's 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 the question, whether or not he can make that next step to become a, a starter. All right, uh, we're about 30 minutes in here. We got a good 30 minutes to go here, uh, taking your questions on, on Texas football, the Friday night live stream. Uh, we'll go straight to Justin Yarbrough here. Uh, what would be a good first season for Coach Baker, Kenny Baker, the new defensive line coach, recruiting and on the field? Recruiting and on the field. I'm going to start that, and I'll and I'll get y'all's take on that as well. Um, on the field, I, I think it's just showing that that he can manufacture some depth right now. Yep. Hopefully, they get one more big guy. But if they can get one more big guy, I think this defense should be good enough on the interior. Uh, in recruiting, look, I don't think I think they got to have two big time guys each and every year coming in on at defensive tackle. That's that's got to be his goal. That should be every. Coaches at Texas goal. Two big-time defensive tackles, two big-time corners, two big-time edges, two big, you know, everything. Except mm -hmm. for the other positions like offensive line, which just take more. On the field and off, what do you – Rod, you take the on the field. CJ, I want you to take the off the field. What do you think a successful season for Kenny Baker would be on the field, Rod? Um, I think you're right. I mean, it's seeing guys like uh, Sadir Mitchell – um, seeing uh, you know Aaron Bryant, seeing those young guys. I mean, who knows when uh, you've talked about Alex January, a young guy. We seen a seen a, one of those young guys who's been they've been an un, unproven commodity so far. Seeing them step up and make some impact plays and can give you some some quality reps and snaps, so you can continue to have a depth and a rotation at that interior D line. You got Savellian, that's great. You got Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton. So I'm with you. Seeing one of those young guys step up and play well, and we don't know who it's going to be. I think we all agree it could be three or four. We, one of those three or four different guys, we have no idea. Seeing that, I think will give Longhorn fans a lot of confidence in Kenny Baker. Because if Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton take a step, 
he'll get some credit for that, but not as much, right? I mean, those guys should be ready to take a step on their own. I mean, those guys should be ready to take the leap. They've been here long enough. Hell, they even even if it, they've had some of the the tutelage of a guy like Bo Davis and now Kenny Baker, so it won't be all on him necessarily. They they were trending in that right direction. Well, some of those other guys who haven't really been able to impact you and impact the roster in that way, I think that would be big. Now, if Alfred Collins ends up having or you know, Vernon Brighton breakout. We're talking about all, you know, talking about conference player of the year, defensive player of the year type, you know, uh, honors and accolades. That's a different discussion altogether. I think Kenny Baker will get a lot of credit for that. But if these guys just kind of have a, a good season and it's just an okay season, not necessarily a, a breakout campaign, um, you know, I don't know if he'll get a lot of credit for that. So, uh, for him on the field, I think you're right. I mean, seeing those young guys step up and having a quality rotation on the defensive line, I think it's the biggest thing on, on the field. CJ, what do you think about Justin Yarbrough's question? What uh, what would be a successful year for Kenny Baker, the new defensive line coach, off the field? So off the field, Bobby, I, I love the idea of adding, you know, multiple big bodies each cycle. You know, that's the number one way to ensure that you don't have lack of depth in your program at your position so uh, for me I think it's as simple as holding on to Brandon Brown I am very high on him you know Texas has him in the bag right now he did commit to Bo Davis he's out of state all the way over there in Florida there's gonna be a lot of schools holding on and, and fighting and trying to you know pry him from his Texas commitment that's one that I think if he's able to walk in and kind of reestablish or I, I guess establish that relationship right away you know that's something that I think Texas could really you know benefit from and it would be a big you know, I think it would be huge. I love Brandon Brown's tape. You know, he's literally throwing bodies around as a as a junior last year. Uh, it was really impressive on his film. Uh, I am very high on that. But you have to go out and you got to find the blue chip guys that you can be, make and become yours. And I think that that at the defensive line position, we saw Texas prioritize the offensive line. The defensive line is one that you have to maintain a very similar style and approach to. Uh, in terms of what kind of talent you're coming in with to your program and to ensure, you know, obviously that you're not getting beat in the running game and obviously can get pressure on the quarterback. So uh, I, I would say multiple guys in the recruiting world uh, this cycle. But back to your point, Rod, for me on the field, if he can unleash Alfred Collins on the field, that's successful. That means he's able to get the most out of his guys uh, immediately. And I think that that's always been Alfred Collins' thing at Texas's you know, we know that he's got the tools. We, we've seen sparks, you know, every now and then, but it's not been a consistent piece each play. And if he can, you know, kind of flip that switch a little bit and get that out of him, I think that's a sign that, you know, he's a, a, a special coach. But we'll obviously have to wait and see if that's a something that he's able to do. Because with Alfred, as I mentioned, you just don't know what you're going to get on a play-to-play. I think one of the other guys we need to mention, and we too often don't mention him, is – getting more out of Jeray Bledsoe uh, because mm -hmm. some people call him the most athletic player on the entire team. He, he's just a tweener right now, size wise. I mean, so much so that he was, he didn't even suit up for the big 12 championship game. They instead went with a bigger body guy because they wanted to stop the run against Ollie Gordon in Oklahoma state. Um, and so, and you're limited to the number of guys you can suit up uh, in, in big 12 championship. And so my question really is can he get that guy going in the right direction uh, or in a better direction, add more weight? Maybe it's just more time, you know, more seasoning for uh, uh, Jare Bledsoe. But him, Sadir Mitchell, Alex January, I think uh, those guys, as well as Savea, a young man from uh, Arizona, all getting added to the mix a little bit more, I think, this year uh, will be interesting. Here's another question, as I mentioned, Savea here from Nicholas uh, Tamsma. Uh, hook him from Hawaii. Looks like we're getting staff to recruit more Polynesians. Mm -hmm. um, that's not untrue. Johnny Nansen, obviously Polynesian uh, himself. Uh, Texas uh, got not only Long Leonga LaFowle last season, uh, as well as Tassili Akana. Brandon Baker has poly ties as well. He's half poly, I think. Uh, and then you add uh, uh, Tioalea Savea in the portal. Texas now with four in that category. Do you think that was a a, a, a designed move um, by Steve Sarkeesian, CJ, and Rod? What do, do y'all think about that, about adding uh, Nansen to the staff? Well, we know that Texas has ties to California. Now you can go a little bit further up that West Coast over there and 
really start getting into, you know, communities that you probably didn't have uh, a true connection to. And I think that's really important. We talked about, you know, you go out and you go get a Cecilia Kana, uh, you know, uh, Leonga Lafau as well. There's There's been efforts and success in the past. Now you have a guy who is very well respected in this community. And, and it's not like there's a, a lack of talent that is produced from the Polynesian community as well out West. So, you know, you really do get, you know, a, a, I don't want to call it a superpower, but you add a guy to your, your roster and your staff that has a very deep connection and that's huge. So I love it. I think it's big on top of, you know, being a very good on-field coach as well from what we saw this past year with Arizona, he comes with a little bit of, of perks. So, all, all yeah. four. What What do you think, Rod? Yeah. I mean, look, Texas has had Pat Vahe before, but he's from Fort Worth. <laughs> yeah. And no, I'm not trying to make. make no, no, it's it I, makes it. No, I'm with you. I, yeah, I totally understand. I, I think it. it, it no, it's a great question, and it definitely tracks. I I'm all about hit rates, right? Where you find the most draftable prospects, the most draftable talent. We talk about DFW all the time, right? In terms of the metro area that produces uh, the second most uh, NFL draftable players in the country behind Atlanta. I've been tracking that since 2020. Guys, you just go look at the Polynesian community. You go look at the, you know, the Pacific Islander community in terms of the, <laughs> their, the per capita, uh, NFL players per capita um, in some of those communities. Guys, they're like 40 times <laughs> the NFL hit rate of some of the major metro areas and places in America. I'm not making that up. That's a real numbers. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you're just tracking hit rates. It's like, well, what are you doing? They, that Obviously, there's something that that community is doing that uh, that obviously makes them great football players. So, I, uh, just like DFW, you know, we talk about all the different factors and variables that contribute to great football character and, uh, you know, these guys being great football players and the coaching and all this kind of stuff. Well, I don't think it's any different. I think there are just different variables that you consider as to why you want to try to tap into that community because they're doing something right. You just, and I think that comes from just the analytical community, people looking at hit rates. And that's why you he wants to, that's why Sark wants to get to Atlanta, right? Just talking about the new D-line coach he just brought in. Where's his ties? Atlanta. Right. Yeah. You want that's that's heart of SEC country. The SEC, we talk about what's the SEC country about? Well, it's about line play, line of scrimmage play. The best D linemen come from SEC states from the SEC country. Well, Texas needs to get better D linemen. So you can start recruiting in those SEC states. So I I don't to me, it's not that much different. I look at Louisiana all the time. Louisiana always top five uh, states in the country in terms of NFL players producing NFL players per capita. So Texas should be. And right there in their neighboring state as much as possible because the hit rates are just so high. So I'm about hit rates and success rates. And I think that's kind of what Sark's looking at too. It's smart. It's a smart way to go about recruiting. Yep. Uh, here's another uh, one from E. Kim that I think is a, a legitimate one. Bobby, another high school for Texas to recruit more from is Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Really Las Vegas. Back when I was covering recruiting more, more fervently, I mean, they might have one guy a year that was a D1 prospect. Now they're they're turning out 10 to 15 D1 guys a year in, in that uh, city. So it has definitely changed uh, for a long time. All right, uh, let's let's uh, switch paths here a little bit and uh, go down this one from Todd Lacey. Uh, how do you think Texas plans for which positions to offer recruits when you don't know who's coming or going after the 2024 season? It's a good question. Like, how does Billy Glasscock, uh, Brandon Harris, Steve Sarkeesian, those guys sit down and say, hey, how many offensive linemen do I need? How many defensive linemen do I need? How many corners? Is it just a best guess? And the answer, I, I, having heard some of that discussion before, not, not necessarily with the current staff, but with former ones, the answer is they're guessing at their bet, but it's an educated guess. It's not just a wholly uneducated guess. They know that some guys may transfer. They know that some guys may go pro early, right? Mm -hmm. And so they they understand that situation and are aware of it and start planning for it as early as possible. Uh, in general, though, each coach is given a certain number of scholarships. Uh, I think when he first got here, Kyle Flood had nine scholarship offensive linemen. That's too low, okay? I think that simultaneously they had 14 scholarship wide receivers. That's too high. So, you know, assistant coaches are given a certain amount and they're told, hey, this is the this is your parameter 
and what you're expected to be start, starting with. Uh, hey, Donald Britt had a smart, smart aleck kind of response that I think I actually got a kick out of here. Uh, I mentioned the Power Five mm-hmm. guys going to Power Five conferences. He goes, Power Five? What's that? When the Pac-2 <laughs> play each other next year? Will the <laughs> play in the Pac-2 playoff automatically in the playoff? Uh, good stuff, Donald. That's uh, true. I probably misspoke. I don't know what they're going to call it. I don't know what they call it. And actually, yeah. the big two, the little two, and the rest. I mean, what's, uh, how are they going to call that from now on? Uh, I have no idea. Big 12 SEC, not equal at this point in time, at least with uh, the SEC and the Big 10. Um, hey, let's go, let's turn here to a little something different. Um, and that's from Sonny V. Remember when Edge was a problem? I, I got into a conversation uh, with po- folks on the, on Texas Football Message Board. And the question was, Oh, well, we have guys at edge now. We don't, you know, we're, we're getting log jammed there. Are, are y'all, do y'all feel like they're log jammed? I don't think they're log jammed until somebody's a great player and yeah. great players are sitting behind great players. Right now, no one, I mean, Ethan Burke's been good. Baron Swell's been good. Are, are there any great players at edge right now? Until there's a, a great player, I don't see it as a, um, as a log jam. And I still do see it as a potential problem when you don't sack the quarterback. Rob, what do you think about that? Um, I remember when it, I, I see what Sonny's saying. I do remember when at, it was a hole in your roster, potentially. Yes. Like you just had a hole there. It is not that now. Now you have capable uh capable de- defenders there on the edges. I'm with you. You're still waiting for an elite defender on the edge, a guy that can uh, finish the play, make those splash plays from coming off the edge consistently. They don't necessarily have that, but they do have guys with a lot of potential on the edge who have really kind of versatile skill sets. I love what Ethan Burke represents on the edge, man. I love the way they use him too. He's athletic. He's going to get better as a pass rusher. Baron Sorrell has transformed his body. Um, to be a, a, an edge defender. And I think once he adds some pass rush moves, you'll get more splash plays out of him. Colin Simmons is probably, you know, he's that, that is what you're talking about, Bobby. That's what he projects to be that guy, that dude on the edge, a guy that can be just a, a force havoc defender coming off the edge. And if he is one is in one-on-one, basically he can consistently put pressure on the quarterback and also finish that play. So I think he's the one. But Trey Moore, I will say, that's what the tra- transfer portal is for. He probably right now is your best chance at that next season. He Because he is a, I would say, pass rush is a natural ability. You can get better at You can improve at anything. But I think some guys just have it. They're innate. They just know. They they get hip bend. They get leverage. They, they kind of know how BGO. Some guys just have it naturally. Uh, Colin Simmons is one of those guys. Trey Moore is one of those guys. So if he gets in a passing situation, just coming off the edge, and it's just him, that guy makes some plays. So I, I don't know if it's a, la- a log jam. It's not a log jam yet. No, that's what you want. That'd be great if that was a log jam. Just too many, like you said, too many great players. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. They don't have that just yet. Yeah, it's 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 different. What do you think, CJ? Yeah, I'm very happy that the conversation is now at the edge. is not a glaring issue. But I'm ready for it to become the conversation around the edge position to be now it's a strength. Because I think we we were talking about it just now. You know, you don't have that glaring issue on the defensive side right now. Maybe a piece missing from the interior. But on the edge position specifically, you have guys that can make impact plays. But how consistently are you going to see that throughout the duration of a game when that becomes the constant conversation of, yeah, we know that Colin Simmons is going to be in the backfield the entire game. Or we know, you know, Ethan Burke with his wingspan is going to be able to affect the quarterback. It changes everything that an offense has to do when Texas had Charles and who running around, you know, basically dominating that Oklahoma state game. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where it was like, they had to shift their entire offensive line around where he lined up. And then it freed up what was on the opposite side. And that obviously wasn't the same talent that Texas had on each side there, but it, it, it certainly provides more, uh, you know, of a opportunity for those guys to make splash impact plays. So, you know, like Alabama, Dallas Turner and Will Anderson together. It's, you know, how do you how do you defend both of them? So when it becomes a strength like that, it changes everything that an offense has to game plan around because it's the first part of a, uh, of attack that they face each play. You know, it's the guys quickest to the quarterback. They're you know right around the corner, basically, uh, from that tackle position. So 
I'm excited for that to become the conversation and narrative around the edge position is, oh, yeah, they, they've got game breakers, as you talk about, Bobby. Like, they got guys that can totally disrupt everything an opposing offense has going for it. And right now, I think it's getting close, but it's not necessarily to the point where we know who those two or three or four guys will be on a consistent basis uh, to, to really disrupt what opposing teams are doing. All right, I'm going to switch gears uh, here and take one that I think people are going to want to ask. And I think this is a fair question, Chris. Chris, please comment on what's not going well. Everything is so positive, and I agree, but something <laughs> is not, quote, to standard. <laughs> hey, he's fine. We all don't want to We try no, I love it. drink the I love it. Kool-Aid, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what is it? What are some things that y'all are worried about? I, I've gone out, you know, I think we've actually covered it really good as the issue at the interior defensive tackle. Is there anything else that y'all would point to and say, well, they're not doing this right, or um, maybe they don't have a superstar at edge yet, or, you know, what, what are you, what are things that maybe Rod, you and CJ are thinking that, Hey, I, I'd like to see this be better or something that's not quote unquote too standard of, and I love how Brian Irwin put it in heading into the season. He wanted to grade Texas against Georgia in every category because Georgia was the defending national champ a year ago. Right. Hmm. So what, if we're going to be a championship team judged to that level. So if you're judging to that level, what is it on about Texas compared to say a Michigan team this last year? Maybe that's how you figured it out. Maybe it's a defense that's Hmm. as suffocating as Michigan was, was, I mean, they literally didn't have to throw the ball in the second half to beat Penn state. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what, what are some things that, that can be defense problematic in, in uh, I don't want to say ingenuitive, but you know, kind of ingenious type stuff that the simulated pressures that Michigan used, I thought were really, really good along yeah. with just how good they got after the quarterback generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the pass rush needs to be better getting, We've talked about the quarterback needing to get on the ground. Rod or CJ, either of you guys have anything? Um, I'll go. I'll and I'll start. Uh, listen, we, we assume the coverage is going to be better. Um, that's the assumption is because the corners will get better. But now Washington went after the corners. <laughs> I was a little surprised. I thought they'd go after the safeties. They didn't. They went after the corners, and you got better at safety. The assumption is that everybody in the secondary will just improve. Um, well, they don't improve. I mean, what they don't take the leap we thought they'd take. Uh, the, the truth is, and this was kind of exposed in this season, you play mediocre average quarterbacks this year. And when you play good ones, they exposed you, period. That's those were your, You played two good quarterbacks pretty much, and those two good quarterbacks beat you. If you look at the, those are the best, those are the best quarterbacks you played and you lost against them. If you end up playing good quarterbacks and your secondary does not take the leap, you know, that can be exposed again. And I think Texas was lucky this year. They didn't play a lot of really good quarterbacks in the Big 12. You just didn't. Um, and I don't know how many they're going to play next year. You play Georgia. Georgia's going to have a good one. You know, so I don't it, know. Will, I think Howard, Will Howard was pretty good, and they lost it on the goal line. I mean, yeah, Will Howard was He was literally fighting for his He literally left. The, Bobby left because he got to lose his job. <laughs> like, Will Howard can't keep a job. We talk about goodies. He can't keep a job. He, he was supposed to be starting quarterback. They brought Adrian Martinez in to take his job. They were supposed to be starting quarterback this year. They brought Avery Johnson. Now he's like, say what you want, but the guy can't keep a job. So you're the third best quarterback you play can't keep a job. Okay. So my point is, if you play good quarterbacks and you don't improve in your passing defense, there's a chance you could be exposed there. Because like I said, the same concepts that Texas got beat with in pass defense in 2021 uh, in 2022, they got beat with them in 2023. Same damn things. If you've been listening to me for the last three years, you heard me talking about the same stuff. They, they haven't figured it out. And it, it, that goes back to PK and the scheme a little bit, too. It's like, hey, I've had like two years to figure this out. It's the same stuff. What's going on? That that would That's something to worry about. Like I said, but these are first world problems we're talking about here, guys. Like, yeah, we are being nitpicky. We, 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 it is. This is a great point. We got to find some stuff. We got to dig through, try to find some stuff to be negative about to, about this group and about this team. Now, you can find it. It could be there. But, like I said, it's, it's more of a glad, be glass half-empty guy. And I think for, for what like, – even about the D-line coach, guys, listen, 
I'll say it straight up. If Kenny Baker had not had that one year in the NFL, Sark couldn't justify that hire. Ain't no damn way he could justify it. No, no way. He couldn't justify it. He hired a guy from Western Kentucky. from what, Longhorn fans would have lost their minds. Tail would have wagged the dog on there. He had to change his mind like the Aggies did. <laughs> he'd, have to, he'd have to flip like, ah, I'm sorry, guys, my bad. My bad on that one. But the one year of NFL experience, we're like, all right, it's, he, he made to the league. But we don't, you know, I mean, sorry, Carbo Davis, the best D-line coach in, in, in the country. And I was like, well, we got a guy now. We got one. It's like, well, you said he was the best D-line coach in the country. Now you go from best D-line coach in the country to guy with one year experience in the league. Not, but we trust in Sark. I'm a glass half full now, guy with Sark, because Sark has made great hires. So we should trust in Sark. But Sark's not Jesus Christ, so he can make a mistake. And what if he did? What if he just made one with the D line <laughs> coach? Right? He can't get he can't get them all right. He wanted to screw up one of these coaching hires. What if that's the one he screws up? And they're like, well, in the SEC, that's a bad coaching hire to screw up. <laughs> that ain't the one you want to mess up, coach. So. I CJ, I wait a minute, Rod. You're on fire. They're right. I gotta say this. We missed one though. Pat Brown, red zone, red zone, red zone. Boom. <laughs> boom. There you go. Boom, boom, 100%. boom, boom. Thank you, sir. There you go. Keep them coming. <laughs> we can get negative real quick if y'all want to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough because you know, you, you look, and I, I think you're right though, Rod. I think you give Steve Sarkeesian and the in the staff credit. Because at some level, we've seen improvement gradual over time, mm -hmm. right? It, it hasn't been, you know, all things get fixed immediately. It's things get fixed over time. And now we're down to the point where, for example, just talked about it at Edge. We're talking about an improving Edge group as opposed to a, a an Edge group that's empty, right? And so now we're, where's our superstar? Where's our All-American in that group, Right. Um, where's our big difference maker? And that's, that's part of the process. I think, you know, uh, yep. you know, I, I, Kirby smart didn't win his first championship in his first two years or three years. Uh, Jim Harbaugh didn't win his, I mean, he almost got fired five years ago or four years. Took a pay cut. Yeah. And so I, I think that people need to realize that a, part of it is a slow, gradual build into an, a roster that looks like that across the board. Yeah, look at more than anything, that's what I come back to when I start going down that. Well, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. Yeah, but other people are worried about things too, mm -hmm. right? Other schools are worried about things too. Uh, one thing I'm not worried about right now is the quarterback situation at Texas, and a lot of people have to have to try to figure that out. And Texas doesn't have to. Um, take. I want to go. I want to spin off out a little bit and go to Pat Brown here and what he wrote. Uh, he thinks in this SEC, the game is going to speed up more short passes delivered more quickly. Will Quinn be able to read and release at a new pace? I think I think that's a fair question, by the way, because Quinn hasn't always been the quickest with his release and getting it out quick. He's, he's going to have to in the SEC. You you agree with that, CJ? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I could go a couple ways with this. I think you're going to see more consistent, good competition in the SEC. I think that you also saw pretty good teams in the Big 12 that don't normally get a lot of credit. You know, the Iowa States are always difficult defensively. Kansas State, for my entire life, has been a well-coached, tough team. You know, obviously, they're not going to be the talent that you see from a Georgia or Alabama, but I think they're pretty comparable to what you would see from – you know, a, a Kentucky or a Mississippi State or, you know, Ole Miss is piecing things together. But for a while, they weren't necessarily a team that you would see in the top 15, top 25 ranking. So I, I I think that there's going to be a step up that Quinn Ears is going to have to take. Obviously, that's what the expectation is going into year three as the starting quarterback at Texas. You know, he's been in the system for a while. He's going to get, you know, I, I, I think that gradual improvement from a year to year with another spring, another offseason thrown to his guys. But I think there's a little bit of a – almost an over-exaggeration of what Texas is going into in the SEC. You know, we see – I see the meme all the time. You know, there's the the, the SEC as, as the, the, the draft picks, the success on the field. You know, aside from a one year from LSU out of every five, it's really just Alabama and Georgia, right? Like – 
who else? Like uh, Missouri had a, its best year since Chase Daniels was here. But I'm not supposed to sit back and think I'm going to see that same Missouri every single year. That's just not who they've been. I, I don't think that, you know, it's going to be an incredible leap from what we saw just a year ago. And two, I think Texas is recruiting the talent around it to compete with anybody. We just saw it this past year with the college uh, football playoff run. You know, the, and I, Rod, you, you mentioned it all the time. They were a year ahead of schedule in terms yeah. of their roster construction, and they were able to make it that far. So I think that you're going to see more consistent week-to-week, you know, competition. But I don't think it's anything that Texas won't be able to compete with at the highest level because I think they're already doing it at the highest level, you know. So that's – I've always kind of had that kind of – that nitpicky, you know, approach to the SEC because uh, I mentioned that meme earlier. It's always been Alabama, you know, carrying the SEC on their shoulders. Now it's Georgia doing that. Uh, Alabama, we'll see how they go with no Nick Saban, but, you know, it's always kind of been a one or two conference or team conference in which I think the rest of the conference kind of gets carried about. I think from a great team perspective, you're right. I think from a great player or quality of player overall perspective, you're that's where you're missing it. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the, the draft picks, the you know, they they recruit different levels. Obviously, with the blue chips, so you talk about Atlanta, Georgia, Florida, you know that that whole area. Um, you know, they feed different style of football players. But I, I don't know. I, Texas won't be you know un, unprepared for it. Yeah, I, I agree. What do you think, Rod? More short passes, and will Quinn be able to do something about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right about Quinn, though. Having, I don't know why he has trouble with like getting the ball out quickly and on time. It's some strength because even at an empty formation, I always talked about this, where the ball is meant to come out quickly. I mean, it's empty. The quarterback's only one in the backfield. Uh, defense is strained and stressed. You got to find the right matchup pre-snap. Don't get the, the ball out of your hands quickly. And you're not, by, by the way, sack rates drop in empty formation. They're supposed to drop. Why? Because the ball's coming out real quick. Quinn gets sacked a lot in empty. He gets sacked in empty formation. It's crazy because if they're going to blitz you all out blitz, then that means somebody's going to be running wide open or the, the easy matchup, the one-on-one, you have pre-snap, you got to find it. And for some reason he struggles with that. This kind of shows me kind of what they're talking about with, you know, what you said about Quinn, that sometimes he holds on to the ball a little bit too long, second guesses himself. I think they work that out of his game. I think uh, Sark this offseason – I think you get a more confident Quinn. I think Quinn will get to the point where not only does the ball come out quicker because decisions are, are pre-snap reads are crisp for him. Um, I think also when he gets deeper into his progressions, where I think he gets – that's when he really gets in trouble. I think that's what the NFL wants him to see. They want him to see him get deeper into his progressions without erratic footwork, without him staring at the rush because he does this. He looks at pressure instead of feeling pressure. All right, you're supposed to feel it as a quarterback. Keep your eyes downfield. Think Michael Penix, right? Feel the pressure. But my eyes are always downfield looking at the targets and the route combinations. He doesn't do that. Sometimes when the pressure comes, Quinn will look right at it. He's looking right at the pressure. You can almost tell because he takes his eye. He doesn't make enough plays downfield. And there are down, there are plays to be made downfield, but he's too busy staring at the pressure instead of feeling it and manipulating you know, the pocket and moving in the pocket. That's what he's got to work on to buy himself more time so he can get deeper into the progressions. But that's got to that's on him as a as a player working on that in the offseason. I Sark knows it. He doesn't have a lot to work on. And when Quinn knows where he's going with the football, his first uh first read kind of wide window throws early on with Sark's schemes open a guy. I don't think there's a better quarterback in the country. I'm not joking. He it, the ball is on time, it's precise. It's accurate, the placement, the touch. He's got it all. But those are schemed open throws where he knows where the ball's going. <laughs> he knows where the ball's going before before the you know the play most of the time. And it's like, boom, that was schemed open. So I want to see him make those same types of throws, though, with the second read in the progression or just uh, being able to move around by himself some time, hitting the third read in the progression. We saw it some last season. You got to see it more consistently. And in the and that's the hope that in the SEC, you know, that – with the, you think the pass rush, maybe it's going to get there a little quicker because you got better lines of scrimmage play that he'll be able to buy himself some time and be able to still make those accurate passes downfield. That's what you want to see from Quinn, the progression. Good stuff, Rod. Um, hey, uh, I, I want to say this because this is definitely true. When And this is kind of what CJ was hitting on, I think. 
Uh, JD says, drafted players don't always equal better college teams. Completely agree. There's plenty to be said for the Kansas States of the world who have veteran athletes that just aren't NFL college caliber, but great college players. I don't think you're going to get a, a denial of that. That's what the, that, frankly, that's what the Big 12 has done really, really well. Yeah. I mean, uh, no offense, but good scheme, good coaching, talented, but not overly talented players. Tell me that's not, doesn't sound like Oklahoma State to you. Yep, I mean, yep, not just Kansas State. Um, and now, Iowa State. <laughs> hey, Iowa State. And hey, but today I'm I'm watching. I was before we got on. I was watching the uh, the uh, NFC Championship game. You have Brock Purdy, a three star, going to Iowa State, and at quarterback, and David Montgomery, a three star running back, going to Iowa State, starting in that game. I don't think they were three stars. They may have they may have been unknown recruits, relatively speaking, but they were never yeah. three stars. Let's, that's one thing that Matt Matt Camel needs to to get right about what is what he thinks a little bit. Just because his players come in unheralded doesn't mean they weren't that good in the first place. All right, uh, last thing tonight is going to be here uh, from Todd Lacey. Uh, Todd, you've got a question here. Who are the leaders in winter workouts? From what you guys are hearing, other than Quinn Ewers, CJ, you had a little piece on this on Friday. Uh, give people uh, a little taste of what you heard. Yeah, I've been hearing Anthony Hill's really starting to take that step up. You know, there it's kind of the expectation that you hope to see from a five-star guy that played a lot as a, as a true freshman. Uh, Hill comes from a tremendous program at Denton Ryan. He was a vocal guy there. Anytime I'd see him in team settings, he was, you know, one of the guys that was leading uh, the pack at Denton Ryan. Right now, we're starting to see him really start using his voice a little bit more. He's becoming more vocal. Obviously, he leads by example. He's a, a freakish athlete. Someone that has, you know, obviously some skin on the wall. He was a first team uh, freshman All-American as well. So you see the true, you know, progression off the field for Anthony Hill, which is just as important as adding 10 pounds to your squat in my eyes. So uh, that he's been a guy that's certainly stepping up. Uh, Baron Sorrell, Jake Majors as well. Uh, Kelvin Banks becoming a little bit more vocal as well. Uh, something that is pretty big on that offensive line. We've no more Christian Jones, who was that elder statesman, uh, in the room a, a year ago, Kelvin Kelvin uh, Banks, sorry, really starting to piece things together as well, trying to get things going uh, and really just becoming more vocal. Uh, you, we talk about it. You can never have too many leaders. And a player-run program is the best-run program. So uh, I'm really encouraged to see from one week of winter conditioning how this continues and we see uh, a few more names pop up toward the end. Oh, Michael Taft needs some recognition as well. Nice. He, he is uh, absolutely one of the, the the more vocal leaders on the team on, on the backside of that secondary. So not one that you necessarily might expect off the top, but he is absolutely a, a guy that people respect in that room. All right. Before we let everybody go, thanks for that answer, CJ. Before we let everybody go, want to reiterate some things. Jyoti Camillus, the assistant or the analyst, special teams analyst, has now moved on to the University of South Carolina. Jabbar Muhammad, the cornerback from Washington, has committed to Oregon, AM and Oklahoma. Both had junior days over the weekend, hosting some key recruits for the Longhorns. AM walked away with two commitments uh, Kelvion Riggins, a linebacker out of Forney, and Dejon Petaway, a defensive back out of Katie Paytow, neither of whom had Texas offers at this point. So Texas wasn't really in pursuit. Still, it's interesting. Jabori Antone was a Texas offer. However, he's a cornerback out of Westgate in New Iberia, Louisiana. He committed to LSU. Uh, little, uh, that, that puts two of the top three guys at cornerback off the board already, uh, probably for the 2025 class. Yeah. So that's uh, that's where it's at right now. Uh, we'll have more tomorrow morning uh, on Coffee and Football. Uh, for Rod Babers, CJ Vogel, I'm Bobby Burton. Thanks for watching the Sunday Night Live stream. Hook them. Hook them. Hope you had fun, guys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.